Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 9, and verses 25 through 35. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to the wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. We are in week four of a series called God-Centered Sexuality, and we're exploring what life would look like if we followed God's design for sexuality. Sex was God's idea. Think about that for a second. And all the possibilities of the world that he could have created, he created a world with sex. God did. And he created it, so that means we should probably read his user manual 
for sexuality. I want you to imagine if Ikea came out with a brand new product called a cancer laser radiation system, DIY, Ikea. You're, you're moving down the aisles, you pick it up in the boxes, and you take home your very own cancer radiation laser. And you pull out those Swedish instructions and then you throw them away. And you try to put together a cancer radiation laser without instructions and no user manual. That's dangerous. That's foolish, isn't it? You speak because a cancer radiation laser is powerful and can do tremendous good when used as it's designed. But it can have massive, devastating consequences if it's used improperly. The same is true with sex. God made it, and let's learn from him, his design for it. And that's why we have the puzzle piece, the jigsaws, because we don't want to put together a puzzle without God's design for it. Last week, we explored what God's design for marriage is. We've actually done that for a couple weeks, and I want to read our definition up here. We've got it on the screen. Our definition that we've built from marriage for this series is this. Marriage is a lifelong, one flesh, covenant union between a male and a female, two sexually different persons, from different families, united with the purpose of telling God's story of creativity and covenant faithfulness, and sexual relationships outside this covenant union are sin. That's a mouthful, but it's thorough and precise definition of marriage. God has a purpose and a design for marriage. So what about singles? Does God have a design and purpose for singleness? That's what I wanna explore this morning. And I feel it already, I'm with you. This is a particularly challenging question and partly it's because of the modern culture that we live in today. Don't you agree? We live in a strange culture. Modern American culture, I would argue, is one of the most hyper-sexualized cultures to ever exist. Lust is a human thing for all of history, but the potential for lust is exp exponentially more prevalent today in our sexualized culture. We have sexualized marketing from magazines, covers, to social media, from billboards to commercials. It's almost unavoidable. And that's different in other cultures today and in other cultures in history. Our culture also idolizes sex in romantic relationships. There's movies like one called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. It's a quest story, quest. And the whole climax of the movie is that one's life's quest fulfillment is that you could have sex for the 40-Year-Old Virgin. What does that say? as a culture about how we value sex. We have entire genres in our culture about romance that, that romanticizes romance, if you can even do that, don't we? It turns out that marriage is not like a Hallmark movie. It doesn't work out that way. And, and anybody that hopes to get married, it turns out you're not marrying that airbrushed character portrayal of a perfect person. In fact, you're a sinner who will marry a sinner. And so what I'm doing right now is just fish, fish, 
You swim in water. And I want you to notice the water you swim in. This culture that you live in is hyper-sexualized. Hyper-sexualized. And that makes talking about singleness challenging. But what's worse is that at times, even the culture of the church, the big C church, has made singleness challenging, hasn't it? And I know this to be true because we care and love for people, especially our singles in our body, so much so that several weeks ago, we put out this survey for you to fill out. And I was so encouraged, so encouraged by many people who responded. We had several age categories, and I'm, I'm telling you, almost every single age category, from very young to very, very old, responded to this survey. We have almost every kind of person represented in this body. And I read through every single word. If you wrote a response, I read it. And as I did, I told this to the preaching team, I said my heart began welling up with compassion and love for you. Such that I pray for you every time I preach. But this week, because there's fewer singles than marrieds in our church, I'm praying for people by name by name. It's an anonymous survey. I have no idea who wrote these out, but I know who's single in our church. And I prayed for you. I prayed for you. And I was so thankful for your responses. Some of you were so, every single person was so authentic, genuine, and honest in their responses. Some of you shared how at times being single in the church has made you feel like an outsider here or in the church at large. Some of you described the action of needing to wiggle into the community to find a place of belonging in many ministries that are generally oriented around a married majority, and that's challenging. Sometimes even conversation for singles feels challenging. What do you talk to married couples about? What do married couples talk to singles about? It's challenging. COVID was particularly isolating, for singles, something that maybe families or married couples may not have even realized. I was also encouraged to read that many of you had a really positive experience at LifePoint. I didn't say perfect, but generally, your words to LifePoint was positive. And it could still improve, but you were able to share generously, graciously, and lovingly specific feedback for LifePoint and also helpful resources into that. I just wanna say thank you, genuinely. If you filled one of those out, thank you. And it is true then, today, as I speak, uh, I'm not single today. But it's also true that I'm not single today. Like right now. But life is fragile, and I could be single tomorrow. So, who's this message for then? This message is for me, and it's for you. And that's not just because if you're married today, it's possible you'll have a season of singleness again. That's not the only reason. The reason this message is for everyone in this room and why we're gonna preach as a church about singleness from the pulpit is because we need to hear this message in order to flourish as a church. 
Not only is marriage and sex not necessary for human flourishing, but the church, our church, needs singles, flourishing singles, in order for us as a community of God to flourish together. That's a big statement that now I have 25 minutes to argue is true. Let's try. 1 Corinthians 7. Have your Bibles open. Now I'm going to preach out of the ESV just to make things even more complex. But I hope you are able to hear some of the nuances in the NIV as well. Despite what our culture might say, the scriptures have a very positive and high view of singleness. So much so that the Apostle Paul calls singleness a gift. Did you notice that? It's a gift. Take a look in your Bibles. See it with me in the scriptures. In chapter 7, Paul is writing a follow-up letter to the church in Corinth that had this question. They said, concerning the matters about which you wrote, church in Corinth, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now, this phrase could possibly mean that their interpretation of even a super hyper-spiritual marriage is one that even within marriage, you don't even have sex. It's just super spirituality. And Paul is addressing an error. And to our surprise, Paul, as a single man himself, upholds marriage with a high view and also upholds singleness with a high view. He does so masterfully. Both he holds in high regard. And so I gave you for context verses one through about seven or eight here. He's gonna address married people and then he turns to singles. See it at verse seven with me. Verse seven, Paul says, I wish that all were as I myself am. That is single, unmarried, Paul never marries. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good, good for them to remain single as I am. And there's your text for why we understand Paul to be single in verse eight. He says it explicitly in verse eight. Is singleness a gift? Is it really a gift, Paul? How can he say that? Notice in the context, he doesn't just say that it's a gift, that both married people have a gift and single people have a gift. He calls this gift good. And that's because a gift is a gift. It's a good thing. And God gives good gifts. Matthew 7, 11. Jesus says, if you then who are evil or imperfect, you're human, if you earthly people know how to give good gifts at Christmas, you had your Black Friday shopping list, you know what to get that person in your life, but you're imperfect. If you can do that, how much more does your father know how to give you a good gift? That's Jesus' argument. And that's the kind of gift that Paul has in mind here. 
Not some kind of hyper-spiritual gift like a charism in 1 Corinthians 12, as if singleness is some kind of superhero special ability given to individuals for them to endure something that by design is miserable. That's not what Paul has in mind. He says that by design, this thing is also good, singleness, as is marriage, good, both a gift. He says it's good. Why is it so hard to believe Paul? Are you persuaded yet? Are you ready to shout from the rooftops? Singleness is a good gift. One pastor, Sam Alberry, wrote a, a helpful book, recommend it to you, Seven Lives of Singleness, and he points out part of the reason could be because of this. He says, singles and marrieds have a tendency that they unfairly compare one's lows to the other's highs. Let me illustrate. He says, singles, they go on social media and they see pictures of married couples or families at dinner time. And they compare their low moments, a moment when they're eating dinner alone that might be a low for them that day, to a picture of the lively conversation and the warm table of that family. They compare their low to another's high. And marrieds do the same thing, don't you? Married couples go onto social media and you know what they see? They look online and they see singles who have more time and flexibility. They're going out, they're hitting the town, they are taking vacations and traveling while you, married couple, are stuck at home and you've changed your fifth dirty diaper today and you're trapped. You can't get out. Low compared to high. It happens both ways and both are unfair. It's not helpful, is it? Now that's, that's part of it. Sam Alberry's pointing out part of it. He says, singleness comes with a set of challenges and advantages and marriage comes with a set of challenges and advantages. Marriage does not solve the challenges of singleness. It just trades one set for another. That's what it does. And that's because marriage is not ultimately the solution to human flourishing. It can't be. It can't be. Don't you see, even if you took that advice and you compared highs to highs and lows to lows, our goal is still too low. Our goal is not to be just content in the joys that singleness has or the joys that marriage has. We need a higher view. We need Christ that we'll get to in a moment. So I, I wanna pause for a moment and speak to you. Are, you. are you single today and are you looking to get married? I wanna try to do what Paul does, read his tone. He upholds both marriage and singleness. If you're single, you're looking to get married, Proverbs 18:22. he who finds a wife finds a good thing. It's good, pursue it. But don't pursue a good thing as an ultimate thing. Marriage makes a terrible God. 
It's terrible. And if you've got a burning passion and desire in your soul to be married, and you make that other person your God, you will crush them under a weight they were never designed to carry. They'll devastate you. Because they make a terrible God. They make a terrible God. Marriage cannot satisfy the deepest longing of your soul. So both marrieds and singles need a deeper, greater, higher satisfier than singleness or marriage. Okay, you're arguing with me. I can hear you. Because you read the text and I read the text as well. We've got to deal with it. You say, come on, Zach. Doesn't, doesn't marriage at least solve some problems? I read it in verse 9. What about lust? Doesn't marriage solve lust? Doesn't it cure lust? Look what Paul says. He addresses this right here. It's in the text, so we're going to preach it. Verse 9. But if they, singles, unmarrieds, cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 9. God has designed marriage and sex in such a way that as we see from verse nine, it does help protect against sinful lust and adultery, and that's a good thing. But hear me clearly, it does not cure it. If sex cured lust, then the couples having sex would never have affairs. And I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to see that that's simply not true. Doesn't cure it. It's a myth that getting married will fix your lust problem. It will not, and it's not designed to primarily do that. Can you imagine marrying someone, standing at the altar? I'm so glad I met you. I have a lust problem, and I'd like to marry you for you to fix my lust problem. What romantic vows? <laughs> you see how selfish and sinful that is? Do you see how that distorts what marriage is? I'd like to be married to you so that I can use you. That's not marriage. That's buying the laser from Ikea and not reading the user manual. You will do destruction to that person. It's not the point. This beautiful, wonderful, God-ordained union called marriage where two flesh become one, what a mystery, has this good gift in it, sex, that it would help protect that marvelous union between those two. Because physical activities can help guard against spiritual temptations. One pastor illustrates this so well. He says that, you know, a husband and wife having sex, that's a physical activity. It can help guard against the spiritual temptation of lust, but that's not the only safeguard. Getting good sleep helps me be more patient with people. And I'm not getting sleep lately. So I gotta speed up. I'm impatient. A walk. Have you ever gone on a walk? Have you breathed fresh air 
a physical activity. You go on a walk and it helps guard against that spiritual discouragement and despair you were feeling. It's because you breathe fresh Colorado air. Physical activities can help spiritual temptations and singles can also cultivate other physical activities that guard against unique temptations for singleness. And the chief root longing of lust is relational intimacy. That's what you want. That's what you're made for. And so singles, I wanna encourage you, all singles should seek to cultivate deep friendships. Lots of community that helps fulfill God, God's given desire to you for intimacy. And here's another problem about our culture. We have smashed together in modern America today, sex and intimacy, one and the same. So much so, this is the water you're swimming in, fish that you can't even differentiate between the two. You can't imagine a category called intimacy that doesn't have sex tied to it. And I wanna split these apart and say intimacy, the, the having a relationship with another human being where you're fully known, they see your flaws and your sins, they accept you and you develop a close relationship, that's intimacy and that's friendship and it doesn't need to include sex for it to be intimate. We should pursue it, both singles and marrieds. All right, all that to say, Paul, are you more convinced now? Do you think it's a good gift? Kind of. He doesn't get there in verse nine. And Paul, either sometimes he has ADD or he got distracted by a bird or something, I don't know what happened. But in verse seven, he's addressing unmarrieds and then he jumps right back into marrieds for a long section, which is why we just skipped over that for our reading. And then you gotta turn the page. You gotta go to verse 25. Oh, he's back. Here's, here's the unmarrieds again. This is a hard chapter. Verse 25. What then, Paul, are the advantages of being single? He finally addresses it for 10 verses in verse 25 through 35. As I only get one sermon on this, I'm gonna try and summarize 10 verses in a few words. Here's my summary of 25 through 35. What's the advantage of singleness? Undivided devotion while the time is short. Undivided devotion while the time is short. There's a lot in that. There's probably three or four advantages, but I tried to squish them into one. Let's see it in the text. Verse 26, Paul describes the current time, the culture. He says that it's a time of present distress. They're suffering. It's not easy to be a Christian in the first century. Turns out you're a minority. Even more than singles are a minority in a world of married people, Christians were a minority in a world of pagans in the first century. And in verse 29, he says, Here's the reason it's distressful too. The appointed time has grown short. He's saying Jesus is coming back soon. That's consistent in the New Testament. Their perspective of time, when is Jesus coming back? Answer, soon. 2,000 years later, when is Jesus coming back? The answer, soon. I love that he does that. So you can't get your little calendar and Forget Jesus for a couple more years so you've circled the date and you can just be ready at the last 
11th hour. He wants us to be ready all the time. And he says, because Jesus is coming back soon, that means that the present form of this world is passing away. That's verse 31. Present form, or in the NIV, the pattern of this world. It's passing away. It's temporary. Do you know what that includes? That includes marriage. Don't believe me? Let me say something you're not gonna like, especially if you're married and your marriage is good right now. No one will be married in heaven. Zach, you have not watched Hallmark. <laughs> that, that's, that cannot be true. The, the Hallmark Channel said so. No one will be married in heaven. Let's quote Jesus instead of Hallmark. Matthew 22, 30. This is Jesus. For in the resurrection, that's dead bodies raised from the grave, new bodies in the new heaven and new earth. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Not a single angel has walked down this aisle. Not one. And neither will you be in heaven. Singles, have you felt left out in this world? You will not be a minority in heaven. There will be one marriage in heaven and only one. And you're all a part of it in Christ. The only marriage in heaven will not be to your spouse. It will be, it will be between the groom, Jesus, the one who died and modeled sacrificial love in a faint way that husbands should do on this earth in their marriage. But Jesus will do it perfectly. And the lamb will show as the groom at the wedding feast to his bride, the church, I will be your sacrificial good and loving groom. It's the only marriage. It's a mystery. Do you remember Dale describing this? That marriages from Ephesians 5 today, they're a parable. It's a, it's a dim shadow of a great reality that's going on. Sacrificial love of husbands should, should be a, a dim shadow of Christ's love for us. No marriage in heaven. What then is the advantage of a single? Paul then moves to an application in verse 29, and he's saying some hard things. He's saying, if you're married, live as if you're not married. Well, that sounds like bad advice. Should I take my ring off? No, he's not saying, don't take this off. Don't flirt with somebody. This isn't what he's saying. He's saying, marriage is good, but don't get engrossed in it. That's why I had us read in the NIV. That's the word they used, engrossed in it, or in the ESV, attachment. He's saying the pattern in this world is fading. You won't be married in heaven, so don't get your grips on it too tightly. Your spouse isn't your everything. This isn't Jerry Maguire. She doesn't complete you. It doesn't happen that way. Christ completes you. And so he's saying live in this world with a healthy, eternal perspective that enables you to have open hands with your marriage or singleness. Because the pattern of this world 
is fading. And then he gets to the advantages, finally. He says singleness has some advantages over married people. In verse 28, he says married people are gonna have worldly trouble. And the married people said, mm-hmm, yep. Now we're tracking with Paul. That Paul would like to spare you from. Now, what does he mean worldly trouble? It's not that your spouse didn't meet your every needs. He's saying, look, if you're married, you have a marital duty, an obligation that divides your devotion. You are for Christ, but you have signed up for a life that you set. Husbands, you have signed up to die every single day, first, sacrificially, to bless and encourage your wife in her holiness. You signed up for that. And then you have kids. You just died to a night out any week. You died to it because your kids are gonna get sick, they're gonna need you, you're gonna serve them, you're gonna be divided. Not a bad thing, he's not saying this is terrible, he's saying you're just simply gonna be divided. And he's saying, look, Paul, as a single man, is saying, I wanna spare you of that. It's good that you're single, you have an advantage. You're not tied down to that. Your devotion to Christ, the one who in the end will ultimately satisfy you, can now in this earth, be your full, undivided devotion. And he says that's good. That is an advantage for ministry and usefulness in the world. Singles have an advantage. Now, Sam Alberry gives a helpful illustration. He compares two incredibly impactful ministers, modern today, Tim Keller and John Stott. And not to describe them too much, maybe you're familiar with both of these, Stott was single, Keller was married. John Stott, for all of his ministry, he could travel the globe. In the flesh, he could minister and care for people. He studied scriptures in ways that others couldn't. And Tim Keller was married, and he had a fruitful, helpful ministry. He didn't travel as much, he couldn't. He had family and kids, and that restricted him from, from traveling. This is Tim Keller. He might have written a couple more books before he died of cancer, but he was married. And that's okay, because Keller made some disciples with his wife in his home, and that's good too. Singleness, marriage, both good. They have advantages and disadvantages. Now, briefly, I wanna mention, there can be godly reasons to be single and married, and there can be ungodly reasons to choose singleness or marriage, both. Paul's great purpose for singleness is to choose this undivided devotion to Jesus, not to choose singleness so you can be just spared of the junk that comes with marriage, so you can be free, so I can eat when I want, where I want, with whom I want, with the money I have, budget how I want, take the vacations I want. That's not a godly purpose that Paul has in mind for singleness. And by the way, married people can get into marriage for all the wrong reasons too. One of them being, cure my lust, let me use you instead of serve you. Okay, qualification. The good design that Paul has in mind is this kind of wonderful, focused, devotion on Jesus. 
We need both in the church. Paul is saying, I want people who are singled to be centered on God and to grow in dependence upon him. And he's also saying, I want married people to be centered on God and to grow in dependence on him. We need both. Again, Alberry, this is my favorite quote. If you write something down, this is the thing to write down. He says this in Seven Myths About Singleness. He says, if marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. I'll chew on that. If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, this was our message before, Ephesians 5, a man and a woman married, it's Christ and the church, and the man should sacrificially serve his wife, and they should both grow towards godliness. That shows us the shape of the gospel. Singles are needed to show us its sufficiency. Single people need married people to show us the type of love that Jesus offers, and married people need single people to show that his love is more than enough for true and lasting joy. Dare I even say, single people, you could demonstrate to the world the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. That's in our mission statement. There it is. Thank you. It's an unexpected joy. Didn't expect that but a life more and more dependent on Jesus, that's worth living. Or our, our series idea, for this series, God-centered sexuality draws us into greater dependence on Jesus. Marriage can do that and singleness can do that, but the church needs both. We were made for relationship. God in his very triune nature is relational. One God in three persons, relating to one another, an intimate, personal relationship. We too were made for relationship in his image, and we must seek to cultivate a whole network of deep and intimate relationships. And here's, here's why we're so passionate about saying this in church. The world and our culture has communicated lies about romance and sex and what marriage is and what singleness is. And we as a church, we wanna say, the church should be the best place in the planet for both singles and marrieds to flourish. Because we're the family of God. This is the place, world, that we wanna be a city on a hill and show you, world, how to do singleness. We wanna show you, world, how to do marriage. We've got the instructions to the Ikea laser. And we wanna live it out so that the gospel is on display, both its shape and its sufficiency, that Christ may be magnified. So I finish with this. We as a church, here's a vision for us. We wanna be a flourishing church community. And in order to do that, we need both flourishing marriages and flourishing singles. We need both. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.